You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Don't know if you've heard of this before. This is Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, everybody say suddenly. They're, whoa, we are here. Welcome back, Salem. Yes, yes. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Please remember the last time this happened in Solomon's temple, when the glory of God filled it, nobody could minister and nobody could stand because nobody had their sins forgiven. But now that he's filling the temple for the final time, everyone not only can stand but gets filled in their temple with what's happening in the temple. This is a powerful moment. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. There's something about the sound of the Holy Spirit that brings people to a place. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They said, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine, a.k.a. drunk. I'm not preaching on this, but I don't have all the self-discipline in the world, so I need to point this one part out. I love, I love how the ones who were cynical had an answer for what it was. And the ones who were like children simply said, what does this mean? Maybe sometimes in the Holy Spirit we need to shut off our reasoning and become like a kid. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would shut off our reasoning and become like children when we are in your house. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Whew. Did our worship team not kill it this morning? Like, They work really hard, all of them. We're so proud of them. And they, they just deliver something in this house that is so unique. It's the best kept secret in the Hudson Valley for sure. Very proud of them. Very proud of them. And it just makes it so easy to keep on preaching until 2 o'clock in the afternoon when the worship team does that. What kind of church are you is a question that all of us will be asked. And it has never been easy to answer that question when you come here. We either overly explain it, and when somebody's asking what kind of church do you go to, and your answer is 14 sentences, they're going to listen to you politely, but they started thinking about their favorite TV show about six sentences in. Or we've said stuff like, it's a fun church. Okay, that's a good answer. Little corny, but it's a good answer. It's never been easy. And so, it's not going to be after this, I promise you. But we're going to try to get it a little bit easier. Salem Tabernacle, and it has to be in this order, and I'm going to explain it. And again, I want to tell you what we're about. I'm not going to give you the line, but I want to speak from my heart about the kind of church that I and the elders envision this place to be. Our terms will be, we are a convergent Christian 
community. And it has to be in that order because, unfortunately, saying we're Christian should be enough. But because of all of the divisions in the church, saying we're a Christian church will be followed up by the question, what kind of Christian church? And I don't know that there is no greater sign of failure in the Christian tradition than when somebody has to say, what kind of Christian church are you? It should be enough. And one day when Jesus comes back and restores the whole earth, we will be the church of God in Christ. But right now, Convergent has to describe the kind of Christians we are, and Christian is defining the kind of community that we are. So what does it mean to be convergent? What does it mean to be convergent? I want to read a text from 1 Corinthians 9. Again, very famous text. This text speaks to the heart of the kind of people I want us to be, and it's where I think, when I think of convergence, it comes from this text right here. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19 to 23. This is Paul speaking to the church. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. Here it is. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in the gospel's blessings. Convergence is a word that means unity, at oneness and hospitality. He's saying in his time and day, Paul, I became as a Jew, I became as a Gentile, I became all things to all people. And what we're saying is, we are willing to worship here in more than one way so that we can be all things to all people. We want this place to be a place where everyone who's had a worshiping experience as a Christian can taste something familiar and be pulled into a deeper understanding of something unfamiliar. We want something comforting and accepting and familiar, and we also want something a little bit challenging as well. So we want to be all things to all people. And in my process of formation to become ordained, first as a deacon and second as a presbyter or priest, whatever word you feel more comfortable with, as I'm in that preparation, I'm learning the liturgies of the church in all different kinds of denominations. And I went to a funeral one time, and as I was walking out of my house, and halfway to my car, I thought, you know what, I should probably wear my clergy shirt. And so I went back inside, and I put my collar on. And I get to the funeral, and the funeral director's waiting for me at the door, and he says, thank God you're here. I'm coming because I'm one person removed from the person who passed away. I don't really know them too well, but I know somebody there. And I said, what do you mean, thank God I'm here? I'm like looking behind me like, did Eli Manning come in or something? Like, and he said, we, have, we don't have anyone to do the service. So I grabbed the itinerary. I went downstairs. I asked him a few questions about who's going to be here, what kind of faith, how do they practice, and was able to do it. If 
we had some kind of ecumenical service in the city of Beacon, and any other Christian denomination wanted me to co-celebrate communion with them. I would be able, or I'm in the process of learning how to be able to do that. Not that we do all those things here, but God is helping me be able to be all things to all people. I always wear the collar here, and sometimes I wear it out. And every single time I've worn it out to eat after service, I have prayed for somebody I don't know in the diner. My cousin has leukemia. Can you please pray for her? We don't always have to ambush people. I can look like a Christian on behalf of all of you. Is that okay? It's convergent. You all don't need this. But some people do. For some people, it's familiar. For other people, it's not. For some, it's familiar. For others, it's challenging. And all the things we do. But we need to be the kind of place, if you're a hospitable person, you will go out of your way for people who are coming over to do some things familiar that are going to make them feel comfortable, but then something from, from maybe your background that they haven't tried before. And when both of those exist, you have hospitality. When you only have, so, if I only have something you like, that's flattery. That's not hospitality. But when I have something you like so that you're comfortable and then I get to share with you something that I like, now we have hospitality. We have to say this. Unity is not uniformity. Uniformity is blacks over here, whites over here, men over here, women over here. That has not worked out for anyone ever. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is oneness while not losing the celebration of our distinctiveness. Unity is not sameness. It's oneness while not losing the celebration of our distinctiveness. The perfect example of this is three candles that look very different from each other. They're maybe different sizes, they're different shapes, they're different colors, but they all have a flame. And when you put the flames together, the three candles still look like three separate candles, but the flames, although three, have become exactly one. They're still distinct, they still look different, but the thing that they're there for, their purpose has now become one. It's the ultimate sign, and it's the only good example in the natural world for the Trinity, right? Neapolitan ice cream is not a good example for the Trinity. Eggs with shells and yolks and the white part, whatever that's called. Like, that's not a good example. I'm a, I'm a dad. I'm also a husband. I'm also a friend. Is not a good example. Three candles, when their purpose lines up, in that one flame are three flames. But you can only see one because they've all become one, yet each candle's still distinct. That's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God in three persons. That's also convergence. When Adam sees Eve, we talked about this, he says to her, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He sees himself, yet there's a distinction, and he says the two shall become one. That's convergence. They're converging. Convergence is when distinctives become one, yet remain distinct at the same time. Speaking of being liturgical, I often go out to eat pizza. I have an odd relationship with pizza. It's always there for me, even when I'm obnoxious to it. So I'm out to eat pizza, and I'm waiting, and I see an amazing picture, an aerial shot of Manhattan. You have it? 
And I'm standing there enjoying the sweet-smelling sacrificial ambiance of pizza being made. Probably Sicilian at the time, I'm, I'm assuming. A little tiny burnt on the top, praise the Lord Jesus. I was taking it to go, but I always ask them to open the box first before I leave. Let me just smell it and then close the box. I debate eating it the whole way home. Sometimes I have tried. Where am I? Oh, yeah, church, <laughs> preaching. I saw this, and the thought hit my mind, and it was just spectacular to me that this is a perfect expression of what it means to be a convergent Christian. Because there are three major things going on here. First, you have maybe one of the most elaborate, complicated, and efficient mass transit systems in all of the world. Above ground and below ground, you have a mass transit system in Manhattan that is absolutely phenomenal. And to me, that represents the charismatic part of convergence, the Pentecostal part of how we worship. It's above ground, it's below ground, and it gets us to where we have to go. Nothing in that city matters if you can't get there, and no program or function or sermon or anything in the church matters if the Holy Spirit is not a part of it. All it is is a TED Talk or some kind of motivational Tony Robbins kind of deal. If the Holy Spirit's not a part of it, it's not church. But then you have the skyscrapers, and they represent the evangelical stream. The Pentecostal stream of Christianity emphasizes, emphasizes encounter with the Holy Spirit in the worship service, in the preaching, and in the gifts of the Holy Spirit everywhere in life. Do I have some Pentecostals who will agree with me? Encounter with the Holy Spirit in the worship service, which we felt today, in the preaching, which I you probably felt when we were talking about the giants, praise the Lord, and in the gifts of the Spirit everywhere in life, we emphasize encounter. We want to be people who encounter something, who are affected by something on a visceral, physical level. The evangelical stream emphasizes the work that needs to be done. They emphasize proper biblical teaching, which is good. They emphasize the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples. They emphasize church discipline and discipleship. So the evangelical stream puts a premium on preaching the gospel and making sure it's biblical, not going off on tangents and ideas, but anchored in scripture, which is the only way to preach the Bible. And it emphasizes witnessing, which we need to do a better job of. And it emphasizes discipleship, which is really the thing that Jesus called us to do. He didn't call us to have altar calls. He called us to make disciples. He didn't call us to notch off that somebody got saved. He called us to have that person become a part of our life. So the mass transit represents the Holy Spirit, making the whole thing work, getting people to where they need to be. And the evangelical stream is represented by the buildings, the work that's being done. And then the, the liturgical stream is referenced by Central Park, older than everything else in the city. You can be in the center of it and forget you're in the concrete jungle. It's quiet. It's always been there. It's natural. It's away from the hustle and bustle of the craziness. The liturgical stream 
Orthodox faith. Anglicans, Episcopals, Roman Catholics, Greek Orthodox. They emphasize historic form. They love Central Park. It's always been there. They emphasize historic form. They emphasize unity in expression. It's got dimensions. It's got boundaries. It's got edges. And they emphasize order. And what I'm saying is if on a theological level we want all three of these to be part of our service like three candles becoming one, it's not enough that we're just convergent here. We have to be convergent people outside of here. In other words, we can't be people who, once we find a way that we like something to be done, can only enjoy life if it's being done that way. Has anyone been in a relationship with somebody like that? Jacqueline, do not raise your hand. It's rhetorical. I don't really argue like customer service kind of arguments anymore, but if somebody makes the pizza a little off, I'm like, ugh. I'm going to have to, sir, I'm sorry, but that's not pizza. What you've done here is not pizza. So I'm just going to slide it on back, and we're going to pretend this didn't happen, and I asked for pizza. Maybe you thought I asked for something else. I actually asked for pizza, right? We have tendencies and preferences, but we need to be convergent. My wife has Jewish blood and Greek blood in her, and I have Italian and Irish blood in me, and if our home reflects only one of those things, it's not convergent. Both of our backgrounds have to be expressed. Cultural expression is part of the kingdom of God, and if any culture is oppressed to not be able to express themselves in church, that is not a good thing. Convergence is being people that are a large space where a lot of different things can exist so we can be all things to all people. Look at the Acts text, our, our Pentecostal text. You've heard me say this before. I'm going to say it a thousand other times. It says, suddenly there came a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And we take the word suddenly and we say, the Holy Spirit is always spontaneous. Suddenly. And he is. But he's also, like, sometimes we treat the Holy Spirit like he has no administrative skills whatsoever. Like if the Holy Spirit went on to career builder and it said, must have administrative skills, he'd be like, I am not 100% sure if I can get this job because everything I do is always last minute. No. If a pastor says, God just changed my sermon right now, there's a lot of churches that even if he said nonsense for the rest of the service would think it was the best service they ever heard in their life. Not saying that can happen, but it has fooled a lot of people into making them think the pastor actually did something during the week. <laughs> Why can't the Holy Spirit spontaneously tell me something on Tuesday to preach today? Why does it have to be 30 seconds before or 10 seconds after I start speaking? Sometimes it is, but that's not the only way, because watch this. In the Acts text, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived. Well, what is the day of Pentecost? It's a Jewish feast. So the Holy Spirit came suddenly on one hand, but also waited liturgically for a particular feast day to show up. It didn't say on a random day, Suddenly there came a sound. It said, when the day of Pentecost, and I love the King James Version, had fully come. 
not just when it showed up, but when everyone was fully immersed in it. Then the Holy Spirit came suddenly. So you see the liturgical, the planned out, preordained order. The Holy Spirit who comes suddenly doesn't exactly come suddenly. He comes suddenly during a feast that he was always planning on coming. And you've heard me say this before humorously. You can't have the spontaneous if you don't have a plan. Because if you plan for the spontaneous and the spontaneous happens, then that was your plan and it wasn't spontaneous. Right? Think about it. In Acts 2, there was the liturgical when the day of Pentecost had fully come. There was the evangelical. We heard them speaking and declaring the mighty acts of God. And then there was the charismatic or the Pentecostal because they weren't just speaking the mighty acts of God. They were speaking them in languages they had no business knowing. And so in every move of God, you see the liturgical, you see the evangelical, and you see the Pentecostal because Jesus is all of those things. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, liturgical, evangelical, and Pentecostal. God the Father represents liturgy because he created the world on day one and then day two and then day three. We talked about it all summer long. There's a rhythm and a plan. Make the tabernacle like this. Make it to my exact specifications. Make the ark of gopher wood. Everything preordained. Jesus is the evangelical stream. He is the great commission in person. He is scripture in person. He is preaching in person. And then obviously the Holy Spirit is the supernatural reality of both of those two things. So even in the Godhead, you see convergence. But it doesn't mean anything if we aren't convergent people in things like our social networks. Think about your social network right now and the kinds of people who are a part of it. Does it look convergent? Or does it look like you? Do our social networks reveal convergent hospitality or personal comfort level? I am more comfortable around certain kinds of people than others. And if I'm not careful, I will end up only being around the kinds of people I'm comfortable with. But that doesn't look like a convergent Christian from the kingdom of God. Our social networks should look diverse. Our social networks should be filled with difference. Unity is not uniformity. It's distinctiveness while remaining one. So let's pray that this church will be the kind of church where outside of Sunday, I'm looking at convergence right now in terms of demographics. I see it every Sunday. Listen, my, my clergy friends have said, Pastor Bill, why aren't you more political? Listen, come to my church on a Sunday. It's the best political statement in Beacon every single week. You're invited to come look at it right now. Black people, white people, men, women, Republicans, Democrats, all finding a commonality in Jesus. <laughs> political statement. Come worship with us, please. How everything originates here but should be fully expressed out there. This is the soil our Christianity grows in. But it should be growing into something where, not to be corny or cliche, but we should be at church so that we can go be the church. That means our social network should start to look like this room looks. 
Finances, I'm sorry, I have to say this. I'm not sorry, I didn't mean to apologize. Does our spending reveal convergent hospitality or fear-based impulsivity? And let me tell you something, not spending money can be as impulsive as spending it if fear is the reason why. It is football Sunday, we just got back from the summer, don't be mean. Here's the thing, I'll throw Jesus under the bus. Here's a verse from the Gospel of Luke. But woe to you, I love when Jesus gets mad, but woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and love of God. Look at this. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Convergence. Jesus is saying, you tithe, but you're neglecting mercy and justice. So what does he say? Keep tithing. These you ought to have done, but don't neglect mercy and justice. Jesus is saying, don't be a one-stream person. Be a multiple-stream person. It's not this or that. So the liturgical is tithe. It's a command. It's there. It's a rhythm. It's, it's there liturgically. But he's saying, but also be evangelical with it. Tithe liturgically, but be evangelical by not neglecting the love of God, the love of neighbor, mercy, and justice. Jesus' words are not mine. If you don't like it, get mad at him. I'm here to just convey what he wants. He told me to say something. I'm saying it. But then the question is, how do we do that? That's the Holy Spirit stream. The Pentecostal stream, when you read the Bible, is always the stream that helps you be able to interpret and live out what you're reading. But the way we spend here as the soil where it all starts and out there as a reflection of what's growing from here should be convergent. It should be multifaceted. If I'm not careful, I'll spend my money on the things that I like. It will be, let me say it this way, it'll be easy for me to spend money on things that I like, and then I'll complain about spending far less for somebody else when it's something I don't particularly like. I gotta pray about that. Oh, shoot, Sam's Club has 60-inch TVs for $300. I'm going to get me one of them because God wants me to be hospitable, and he wants people to come over and feel comfortable, and it's almost football season, and so I want people to come to my house and be jealous of the blessings of God in my life. So in the name of Jesus, I'll take two of them big screen TVs, please, one for the bedroom and one for the living room. And then later on, your wife is like, hey, I saw someone in church who looked a little sad. We should take them out to eat. Today? Let's pray about it for a minute. Tired from preaching. See how we do that? We have no problem spending our preferences. But then we got to pray about it when it comes to putting money on something I don't particularly like. Right? So my wife tricks me and she's like, why don't we take this person out for pizza? I'm like, yes, wait, I see what you did. I see what you did. The plan, the purpose, and the Holy Spirit. Liturgical, evangelical, Pentecostal. The plan, the purpose, the Spirit. That's the kind of people we should be. 
we have the service plan. And let me tell you something, every church, whether they claim that they're the most opposite thing from the Roman Catholic Church, every church has a liturgy. They just don't put it on paper. Every church does. Every person does. Like I said, I was at the pizza place liturgically. They know me when I come in. Sal from Sal's knows my life now. It's amazing. He's a very warm guy. Work, home, church, not three separate realities in our life. One cohesive reality. If we're always living, trying to figure out how to prioritize the three, the three of them are not prioritized in Christ. A long time ago, I saw this great illustration of two different realities. Somebody was juggling work, home, and church. And it was impossible to juggle it. And then another person, it was just a picture of Jesus with work, home, and church in him. And he said, if Jesus is at the center, you don't have to juggle anything. Work, home, and church are three distinctives that should have one flame. One flame. And I know this goes without saying, but our preferences. Does the execution of our preferences reveal convergent hospitality or indulgence. Some parts of the service that we do, I've talked to almost all of you. I'll never forget the one, like I have like my top three favorite things that somebody's ever said to me at the door. Like I told you, the one was, number one is always going to be, I'm glad you're our pastor now because Pastor Mark was really smart. (laughs) Say that better, please. Like, Another one was a particular Sunday where I ended up not preaching, and the worship service went the whole time, and at the door, somebody was like, I am so happy you actually listened to the Spirit today. (laughs) And watch this. If you go to a Roman Catholic church, and that dude decides to preach for 45 minutes, somebody at the door will say to him, I wish you would have listened to the Holy Spirit today. Both people are wrong. When he moves, we move, just like that. (laughs) That's it. That's how that works. But some of us have preferences. I have a preference of how I'd like it to go. If I had my particular way, there is a preference here, but that preference has to be laid down, not when I walk in the door. When I get up on Sunday morning, that preference has to be laid down. Nay, when I go to bed at night, my Sunday morning preferences need to be laid down. We got to prepare for Sunday on Saturday. I'll hit the brakes and preach on that another time. Philippians 2. Consider the interests of others above that of your own. That's convergence. I've said this before. Here's something I've had to learn in my long and crazy up and down journey of dating someone, being engaged to someone, and getting married to someone. It starts out with, I hope I could get her to do the things that I like to do. And that's always just disaster. That's not going to work. Then the lie is what you step in next. I'm going to learn to endure the things that she likes and do them anyway, even if I don't like them. Always wrong. That'll work once or twice or for a year or five. But if you're always enduring what the other person likes, 
is eventually going to show up in the way you carry yourself, the way you blink, the way you turn around, the sound of your voice and all that. Here's the answer. I don't have to enjoy something to enjoy doing it because I get to enjoy my wife's enjoyment of something that I don't enjoy. We can learn to enjoy somebody else's enjoyment of something that we don't particularly enjoy. So I am enjoying myself, just it's not necessarily the thing we're doing, but I enjoy watching Jacqueline enjoy what I don't normally enjoy, but now I enjoy it because she's enjoying it and she matters to me. That's convergence. That's what it means to be a convergent person. There is so much theology we could talk about, but the reason why we're doing all of this, and let me tell you, I have had full and complete, almost autonomous freedom to walk away from this whole collar thing, this whole Bishop Quentin Moore thing. You know, we, we've, we've adjusted, you know, we've moved from Bishop Ed, if you remember him, to Bishop Quentin Moore, who I feel like is more our people and all that kind of stuff. But I could have walked, no one is holding me accountable to staying with this. I believe in this 100% because of what Paul said. I don't want to just be a Pentecostal. I want to be all things to all people that by any means necessary, we might win some. I don't want to attract just Pentecostal people here. I want some liturgical high church Orthodox people to find something that tastes good here and then realize, guess what? After maybe three or four weeks coming, the Holy Spirit tastes good too. I want to be able to do that. I sat in a circle with a whole bunch of people who have what we would call a contemplative kind of church. And they always say the same thing. I remember I was, I was mad in this one particular meeting. Everyone's going around, all their skinny jeans on, <laughs> wooden shoes, sitting all intellectual, like, you know, these churches that have to jump and make noise and sweat to think they have a good service. It doesn't mean anything just because you lost a couple pounds on a Sunday. I said, let me, can I, can I say something? The church I pastor can get loud, can jump, can speak in tongues, can be demonstrative, and in that service, get quiet as a mouse, mouse and hear the Holy Spirit that way too. It sounds like your churches can only be quiet. But maybe a more human experience is a church that can be quiet and shout and laugh and cry in the same exact hour and a half on a Sunday. That sounds convergent to me. I'll take that, please. Advocating for one over the other is not what God has. We should be embodied, incarnate Jesus people. Jesus was quiet. Jesus flipped tables. Jesus taught. Jesus was spontaneous. Jesus left places everyone thought he should stay at and went to places no one thought he should go to. Jesus is what it looks like to follow the Spirit and the Father in person. I want our church to look like that. So some of us have preferences about what we like more in the service. That's great because if you have a preference of something you like, then you get to celebrate and go in when that thing's happening. And it's even better when you have a preference of something you like and it's not happening, you can actually take up a cross and be a Christian in that moment and worship him in a way you don't like anyhow. Do you know how happy I'm going to be if the Giants beat the Cowboys today? As Sophia would say, I would be this happy. <laughs> this happy. I don't care so much about the technicalities of what all this means. 
what I care about is that we could be a church that looks very, very diverse. We could look like whatever church we need to look like for the people who are here. That's what I love. That's what I want. I really believe that the word convergence one day has to go away. I believe it's a temporary word because there was a time where there wasn't such thing as convergence because everything was already one. It was just the church. And some of them were loud and some of them weren't, but they were all coming to the table. They were all baptized. They were all preaching. They all let the spirit move. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And ultimately, and I just want everyone to know this as I close, when we, come to, when we get invited to the table, Jesus is showing us what it means to fully be convergent at his table. Because first, you have Christ presiding at the table in me. A broken, everybody say broken. A broken symbol of Jesus. How many believe the text that says husbands and wives are a type of Christ in the church? Okay? Husbands, raise your hands if you know you're supposed to love your wife as Christ loved the church. I want to see every husband with their hand up or I'm going to smack you. Now, husbands, how many of you have actually loved your wife as Christ has loved the church? No one thinks we're supposed to. We're just a broken symbol of somebody trying to. So when people sit there and say, you know, I don't believe, who just, did you raise your hand just now? Oh, you high-fived. I was like, because Anthony. I really thought my man just raised his hand. I actually got my, who raised their hand? John, put your hand down. Love Stephanie like Christ loved the church. I sat in marriage counseling with both of you for a very long time. It's just off the wheels. Like, I mean, if anybody's afraid that we're too Catholic, I don't think this is happening at St. Joachim's today, right now. <laughs> to be perfectly honest. When I stand and pray over the table, I stand as a broken symbol of Christ at the table. That's liturgical. Liturgically speaking, in terms of the form of the church's worship, I stand as a broken symbol of Jesus. And in my brokenness is where you're ultimately going to encounter more of Christ than in where I'm not broken. But then, when you're coming to the table, you have me standing like a type of Christ at the table. But when you're coming to the table, it's Christ coming to the table. And that's evangelical. You're coming to the table to be fed for the life of the world. You're coming to the table on behalf of people who can't come to the table. You're coming to the table as people who need to feed on the will of God to go out and do the will of God. So I stand liturgically as Christ at the table, broken. You stand on an evangelical level as Christ coming to the table, broken. And then there's Christ on the table, which is the Pentecostal miracle where Jesus does something different to normal, everyday items. His, the hem of his garment was not God, but it became a sacramental manifestation of it when somebody touched it. Yes? Peter's handkerchief was not God, but it became a sacramental manifestation of it when, when they held it up and laid it on sick people and they were healed. Peter's shadow was not God, but it became a sacramental manifestation of it when it passed by people and they got healed. 
So bread and cup are not the presence of God, but sacramentally they become that when the Spirit lands on them. And so we're invited to convergence when we come to the table. And when we leave here, it is my prayer for Salem that when people ask us what kind of church we are, we have no problem saying we're a convergent Christian church, meaning we worship in a lot of different ways so people can feel comfortable and challenged at the same time. What kind of church do you go to? A hospitable one. Well, how is it hospitable? Come and see. Whatever you experience in church, you'll see a little bit of it here, but also something different. When you come to my house, there will be something you like and something different. When we look back at our checkbook over the year, we'll see things that we like and things that we never knew we would do, but the Spirit led us to do it. When we look at our preferences, the way we handle our time, the way we need our time to go, the way we need to invest our time, we realize right now it's not really convergent because I give my time to others when I want to give my time to others, but I never give my time to others when I don't want to, and I can kid myself into thinking the first one's convergent, but it's indulgent. we got to come to the table and experience the convergence of Jesus. Christ at the table, Christ coming to the table, Christ on the table. And leave here as people who can say to the world, and this is our intro into next week's sermon, when he says, this is my body broken for you, we leave and we say, world, this is my life given to you. Let's stand to our feet this morning. This is not the liturgical part of the service. This is just the part of the service where we do something Pentecostals don't typically do. But one of the greatest revelations I've ever received from God happened when I was reading this creed. And I realized that Mary and Pilate are the only two humans listed in it. And the Spirit said to me, you can either relate to God like a servant, like Mary, or you can relate to God like a governor, like Pilate. He was born of one and he suffered under the other. This is not just the liturgical part. If this is where the Spirit is just going to speak to us differently. We're, we're heading into Central Park. There's no mass transit in Central Park. You walk with the Holy Spirit. You slow down with the Holy Spirit. You sit on a bench with the Holy Spirit. So with the Holy Spirit, let's confess together the faith that saves us. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. The Lord is here. Can we just take a minute to know that God's spirit is with us?
Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and good and a joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels, with all the company of heaven, who forever sing this hymn and proclaim the glory of your name, saying together, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy and gracious Father, in your infinite love you made us for yourself. And when we had fallen into sin and become subject to evil and death, you in your mercy sent Jesus Christ, your only and eternal son, to share our human nature, to live and die as one of us, to reconcile us to you, the God and Father of all. He stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself in obedience to your perfect will, a perfect sacrifice for the whole world. On the night when he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks to you, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in order to remember me. After supper, he took the cup of wine and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, drink it in order to remember me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of the faith together, saying, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. We celebrate the memorial of our redemption, O Father, in this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, recalling his death, recalling his resurrection, recalling his ascension. We offer you these gifts. Sanctify them by your Holy Spirit to be for your people the body and blood of your Son, the holy food and drink of new and unending life in him. Sanctify us also that we may faithfully receive this holy sacrament and serve you in unity, constancy, and peace. And at the last day, bring us with all your saints into the joy of your eternal kingdom. All this we ask through your son, Jesus Christ, by him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, almighty Father, now and forever. And everybody said, amen. And now as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to say together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come to the Lord's table and be nourished and faithful and receive joy into your being and into your spirit. Our ushers will release you from the back to the front. Come to the convergent table of the Lord this morning. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, Check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.